started, just one, one slight announcement. Um, during our program today, there will be some graphic pictures. Um, and those graphic pictures will start as soon as, or right, right after Jovi Jamar. I'm going to get you to stand, Jovi, and just wave your hand. She'll come up and uh, sing a solo. So if you have children and you don't want them to see these graphic pictures, it's Jesus Christ uh, as he's on the cross being crucified. Um, that's just a fair warning. When you see her get up, make a beeline to the back. Just for that one particular song, and then uh, the rest is, is the glorious pictures of, of Christ. So thank you so very much for being a part of this today, and we're just looking forward to what God's going to do.
It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for it.
When the time for Passover came, Jesus sent Peter and John to make preparations for the meal. That night, as he ate with his closest friends, the one whose body would be broken for them, whose blood would be poured out to cover their sins, offered them the bread and the wine. Though he knew he would die for them the next day, Jesus celebrated because the Father had provided deliverance and salvation the way he always does. This is the body that was torn for us. This is the blood that was spilled. Points to the He went to pray alone. 
Though in emotional anguish, Jesus submitted himself to the Father's plan of redemption. As the night deepened, the sound of soldiers' feet and the flicker of torches approached as Judas, the betrayer, led a pack of temple guards and priests to find Jesus and arrest him. These men dragged Jesus over Jerusalem as Jesus faced trial after trial, rebuked by the chief priests, mocked by Herod, called into question by Pilate. Hours of anguish were met with silence as Jesus calmly accepted his task. Angry mobs began to swarm the city, demanding a sentence of death. Though Pilate could find no fault in him, the crowds and the priests were relentless. He finally gave in to the unyielding pressure and sentenced Jesus to die. He was beaten, bruised, torn, his heart bloodied by a crown of thorns, forced to carry a heavy cross through the city. He made his way to Calvary. Nails pierced his feet his hands. The weight of sin crushed through his heart. And as the afternoon sun turned black, Jesus became the Lamb.
It is arguably the most recognized symbol in history. Before Jesus died, its very mention brought a mind image of punishment and torture and death. And ever since that day, the cross has said one thing. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will have eternal life. <clears throat>
It was over. That's what everyone thought. Two men who had been the secret disciples asked for Jesus' body. They placed it in a new tomb. I'm glad. The Jewish leaders agreed that the threat to their authority had been eliminated. They moved to make sure nothing happened to change that. The local officials congratulated themselves on putting down a potential insurrection. The placid, the high priest, Guards would be sent and a stone would seal the grave. Roman soldiers took up their post, but no one really expected trouble. The disciples hid in fear of utter sorrow. The women who followed him made plans to anoint his body. It was over. Then, Sunday dawn, the women coming to the tomb found the stone rolled away. They were confronted by two men in dazzling clothes who said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is risen! They ran to tell the disciples. Peter and John stumbled to the garden, and what they discovered were the living wrappings that held his body. The news began to spread, and others told one another, He's alive! He's alive! Jesus is alive! Mary
just imagine how it was for Mary, Peter, and John, for all those who witnessed the unmistakable evidence of the resurrection. For the rest of their lives, they must have told the story again and again and again. They had the great joy of sharing what they saw, what they did, and how they felt the moment they knew without a doubt that Jesus was alive.
whose faith is grounded in Christ have a testimony to share with the world. It's this. We owe our lives to Jesus, to his love and his grace. Our hopes are anchored to his cross. Our future is secure because of his resurrection. He is the way, the truth, and the life.
Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Orchestra, uh, I'll give you another opportunity before we end uh, to express your appreciation to them. You know, I really didn't know exactly how much time uh, we would have coming out of the musical, and we don't have much time, and I'll be uh, considerate of that. Uh, but let me end the service this way. Uh, this past Friday evening, I had the opportunity uh, to be part of a Good Friday service at uh, 4th Street Baptist Church. 
there were seven pastors, uh, five black, two white. I was one of the white guys, if you haven't guessed. And uh, we preached through the seven sayings of Christ uh, from the cross. Uh, that service lasted two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, I won't take that much time right now, so you can just... Re- but you know, those seven sayings, uh, probably better than any other way, capture the essence of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So let's just walk through those just very, very briefly and to just drive home the truth that we do see there. Uh, of course, uh, we need to remember uh, that Jesus died on that cross as the very Son of God. Uh, you remember last week we were looking at that magnificent passage in Philippians 2. And there it talks about Jesus being the one who was in the very essence of God, being one with God. Yet he did not consider equality with God something to grasp, something to selfishly cling on to. But the scripture says that he emptied himself. He literally emptied his deity into human flesh. He emptied himself of all of his rights, of everything but love, taking upon himself, the Bible says, the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men and being in appearance as a man, we're told that he humbled himself to the point of what? Death. Death on a cross. And of course, wherefore, as a result, God has what? Highly exalted him through the resurrection and now given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what? Every tongue should confess and every knee would bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was nailed on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. And that was after he had been severely scourged by the Roman whip, uh, beaten by the soldiers, uh, crowned with that crown of thorns. Uh, The prophet Isaiah tells us that he was beaten so brutally that he was beyond human recognition, uh, that he was just totally uh, disfigured, that you would not even have been able to identify him as a result of the brutality and abuse that he uh, suffered. And uh, after all of that, at nine, uh, he was uh, nailed on the cross. And he hung on that cross for six hours. He died at three o'clock in the afternoon. And we know from the scripture that during the first three hours he hung on the cross, he made his first three sayings uh, from the cross. And I think most of you know what uh, they were. Uh, What was the first saying? Father what? forgive them. And of course, that is the purpose for which he came, uh, to bring forgiveness uh, to humanity, uh, to cancel out our sin debt, to restore our relationship with God. And that blood that he spilt on the cross literally transformed that cross into an instrument of pardon, an instrument of forgiveness to all who will embrace it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you embrace Christ, through faith, you experience forgiveness and you're able to say, as we read in the scripture, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Has your disobedience been forgiven this morning? I trust it has. And if it has not, today can be the day of your salvation, the day where you know forgiveness, where you experience that removal of guilt, 
where he says, And my sin has been put out of his sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. You remember what the second saying on the cross was? He said it to the, one of the thieves that was crucified with him. Remember the thief looked to Jesus and in faith, realizing who he was, the very Son of God, he said, remember me, what, this day in your Father's kingdom. And Jesus said, you will be what? With me this day in what? In paradise. In paradise. And of course, it's through forgiveness in Jesus Christ that we find a way to heaven. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so as we experience forgiveness in Christ, reconciliation to God, we have that gift of eternal life. And so today there's an ex-convict walking the streets of gold with a big grin on his face. And, uh, and think about that. Uh, he didn't have any time to do any good work, anything for Jesus. He wasn't baptized. He just simply what? Believed placed his faith, and as a result of placing his faith in Christ on the cross, realizing Christ was paying for the penalty of his sin, he had that guilt cleared. He had his list of sins canceled out before a holy God to know perfect communion with him. And then the third saying that Christ made from the cross was to his mother, and to the disciple John. He turned to his mother and he said, Mom, a woman, uh, behold your son, uh, referring to the apostle John. And then he turned to John and he said, John, uh, behold uh, your mother. He was entrusting uh, the care of his mother into, the, uh, into, into uh, John's hands, into John's uh, uh, care. And I believe what we discover there is that what Christ accomplished on the cross not only vertically reconciles us to God, but it has a horizontal impact on human relationships, or it should, uh, because we're empowered to be able to love one another as what Christ loved us. And you remember the scripture says that the cross not only destroyed the hostility that existed between man and God, but it, it destroyed the hostility that existed between mankind. It tore down the walls. It tore down the barriers. In Christ, there is no racism. In Christ, there is no prejudice. In Christ, all have great value and worth by virtue of His death on the cross. And we are reconciled to one another. And then the Bible tells us, that at noon, that literal darkness covered the face of the earth, as if uh, nature itself was mourning the death of its creator. And then from noon to just about three o'clock prior to his death, there was nothing but darkness and silence. And just imagine that scene. Nothing but darkness and just an eerie, eerie silence. Until Jesus pierced the silence with his fourth statement from the cross. And that is when he cried out, My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who throughout all eternity had only known the perfect love of his Father, was now abandoned, deserted, forsaken by God the Father. Why? Well, we know why. We're told in the Scripture that we are all like what? Sheep that have what? Gone astray. Each one to his own way. Referring to our rebellion against a holy God, our Creator, our Lord. And we're told that when Jesus was on the cross, that our iniquities were what? Laid on Him. He was pierced for my iniquities. He was crushed for my sin. He took the punishment I deserved as He was making payment for my sin to open the door of forgiveness that I might be reconciled before God. 2 Corinthians tells us, chapter 5, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless, spotless, pure, He who knew no sin, He what? On, in those moments during the cross, He became sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And then what was his fifth statement? He said, I thirst. Now, yes, he was experiencing awful physical thirst there on the cross in light of what he had experienced. But I think he's saying much, something much, much more than just physical thirst. Again, he's the, the sin bearer. As a result of having our sin laid upon him, he literally now has become the object of the full fury of his father's wrath against sin. As he's making punishment, taking that punishment that we deserved. And in the full fury of his father's wrath, again, he's separated. He's disconnected from the very source of life. And there is that, there is that thirst. You know, I find it very, very interesting that when Jesus was talking about hell in Luke chapter 16. He described hell as a place where a person experiences violent thirst that cannot be satisfied. Hell is basically inflamed desires with no possibility of drink. A place of unquenchable, agonizing thirst. And we need to understand that's what separation from God brings about. And that's the sadness of the world in which we live. The world that is separated from God. Always trying to find something that satisfies. But never being satisfied. Seeking pleasure. But always coming up empty. And the only thing that truly brings rest and satisfaction to the human soul is what? Christ occupying His place as Lord in our hearts. And it's interesting, in contrast to hell, here's how heaven is described in Revelation 7. There will, they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. 
And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So as he was forsaken by God, he discovered the thirst we experience, that dissatisfaction, that emptiness of living a life apart from God. And he did all of that so what? We would never have to thirst. We could always know that satisfaction in a relationship with God, being reconciled through what Christ did for us on the cross. And then the sixth statement he made from the cross, just as he was dying, was what? It is finished. And uh, teletestai, in the Greek text, it literally means debt paid in full. And as the former senior pastor here, Brother David, used to often say, and I used to always love him to hear him say this, he didn't say, what, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Uh, the work for which he had come to earth was finished, was completed, as he had canceled out man's sin debt to open the way to forgiveness, to open the way to eternal life. And then the last statement he made as he breathed his last was what? Father, into thy hands I, what? Commend my spirit. That word commend literally means to make a deposit for self-keeping. And Jesus was saying, Father, after now finishing the work I sent here on earth to do, I commend, I deposit my spirit into your hands as I go into the grave. And what we need to understand, the proof, the proof that the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ, the proof that His righteous demands were met against the sin of man was that He rose His Son up in resurrection. That the grave could not hold Him. That the devil couldn't bind Him. Sin, our sin couldn't hold Him down. But He broke free in glorious resurrection and Jesus is alive. He is alive. And He's alive to offer forgiveness to any person who will make their heart His home as you would invite Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. And I pray if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never placed your faith in who Jesus is and what He did for you through His death, burial, and resurrection, that this day will be the day of your salvation. Even as I found Christ on September 20th, 1970, out of a life of deep rebellion and sin, as I heard the most precious words I'd ever heard up to that point, He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son has not life. And I suddenly realized uh, the reason I had the strongholds and the addictions and the pain and the anguish and that unquenchable thirst is that I'd done this to Jesus all my life. To go my own way. And just utter rebellion to Him. And then when I turned to Him, turned from my sin, from running my own life to follow Him, I've never been the same. I've never, it's not that I've been perfect, I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've been here over 40 years, and a lot of y'all know my ups and downs, especially my wife and especially my children. But at the same time, I can honestly say I've never been the same. 
And there's that continual change and transformation because when you come to know Jesus, it's not only that your sin debt is canceled out, but that Jesus comes to live in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in the believer to break the very power of sin that we might walk in newness of life. And then let me, before we close, just remind you believers. It also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus died for all. Now listen, that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him, the one who died and rose again on their behalf. And one day as believers, and He is coming back, and there will be a day of accounting for believers, how we lived our lives. It won't determine where we live in eternity. That's not on the basis of works, but through faith in Christ alone. But we will give an account, and that will determine our reward in heaven. So I just remind you believers, this should all have tremendous impact upon our lives. That our hearts should be awakened in love, in adoration, in appreciation. And to live our lives as an act of worship. As I prayed earlier, that no gift could ever be too extravagant. No sacrifice too great. That He's worthy of all that I am, all that I possess. And He has a work for me to finish on earth. And through His power, I can finish that. Would you bow with me in prayer just for a moment? Let me just give you a few moments to reflect on what you've heard through song and through the Word this morning. If you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I give you the opportunity right now to invite Jesus into your life, for you to place your faith in the One who came to die on that cross for you, to cancel out your sin debt to restore you to God, to know His life-giving waters that you would never thirst and have eternal home in heaven. So right now, would you trust Jesus? Would you ask Him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sin, to take control of your life? And then for those of us that are believers in this room, for those of us that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are we following? There's something tragically wrong in any believer's life If he cannot look up into heaven in prayer and say with honesty and say with authenticity, Jesus is my first love. Jesus is my greatest
passion and pursuit in life. That doesn't mean that our devotion with, to Him is not mixed with impurities. We're all in the process of growth. But there's only one rightful place for Jesus in the heart, and that's for Him to have first place, for Him to be Lord of all. And that we give Him that place, not out of a sense of duty, but just sheer delight, because we love Him for who He is and what He did for us. So let me give those of you that are followers of Christ now an opportunity. If there's anything between you and the Savior right now, for you to acknowledge that, to be restored in your relationship with Him, and that you would just acknowledge to Him this day, in light of who He is, in light of what He did for you, yes, Jesus, You are my first love. You are my greatest passion and pursuit. And I'm trusting You to give me the grace to live a life pleasing to You, to give me the empowerment for me to finish the work you've given me here on earth to do, even as you empowered your son Jesus to finish the work you gave him to do. Father, thank you uh, for the sacrifice of your Son. And Jesus, thank you that you voluntarily cooperated with your Father in coming to earth to die for the penalty of our sin, to take the punishment we deserved. And thank you that you rose again and that you are alive. And we do readily acknowledge that you died for all. Every single person in this sanctuary this morning. Every single person on the face of planet earth. And in light of that, we are not to live to ourselves. But we're to live for the one who died and rose again on our behalf. So thank you for our forgiveness. Thank you for the promise of paradise. Thank you that you broke down all the walls of hostility even between us to bring us unity and harmony. And Lord, in a world that is filled with nothing but chaos and strife and hate and evil, thank you that Jesus is the answer. And then thank you that you were forsaken so that we could have the guarantee that we, you will never desert us, nor will you ever forsake us. But now you love us with a love that will never let us go, a love that will never fail us. And thank you that you thirst, that we might never thirst, that we might know those rivers of living water flowing in and through us. And Lord, I pray that you would not only satisfy us, but you would make us a river to others an oasis of Jesus to others in the wilderness of this world, and that you would use us to reach many for Jesus. And thank you that you finished the work the Father gave you to do, that you paid the debt, and that as you commended your life to your Father, that He rose you from the dead and that you are alive. 
And you have been given that name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course, much better to do that now than in judgment. When it's too late and we make that confession as we're being banished from your presence to be separated from you throughout all eternity. But thank you that that need not be our destiny because through faith in Christ we can have that eternal home in heaven. So Father, speak to us, use us, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I think the choir is going to sing that one song again in Christ alone. And uh, if you know the words, you can join with them. This will serve as our invitation. If there's anyone here today, and uh, you did invite Jesus to come into your life, uh, just walk down the aisle. Let me know that that was your decision so that we can begin to love you, we can begin to pray for you, we can begin to aid you in your walk with Jesus, your journey with Jesus. Uh, possibly you're he you've been visiting and you've been looking for a church home. Uh, we would love for you to uh, unite with the Edgewood family and uh, today begin the process to full membership. And so I'll remain here if anyone has a decision of any nature. But let, let's, let's stand and uh, use this as an opportunity as we uh, close the service uh, to worship Him, uh, to adore Him in this very, very precious contemporary hymn. Everyone, take the opportunity now through the backdrop of the music. Just worship Him. Just love your risen Lord. Put your faith, your trust in Him. <laughs> 